over fall break, our family took a couple of days, went up to Sevierville Pigeon Forge and went to the Titanic Museum. Anybody been to the Titanic Museum? I didn't realize it until this time that they're, they offer wedding packages at the Titanic. I don't know if an unsinkable wedding is, I don't know if that's wise, do you? John chapter 2, what we have happening in these 11 verses is Jesus is crashing a wedding. And as he crashes this wedding, he crushes his first miracle. I mean, he just crushed it. He knocked it out of the park with his first miracle. In fact, John calls it a sign rather than a miracle. And we'll see that in a moment. I, I sent a message out to you. What venue were you married at? Nobody sent in the Titanic. So I, that's good or bad. But about 80%, there were well over 200 responses. So thank you. That's the most responses I've ever received when I ask a question like that for a coming up Sunday morning service. So over 80% of you were married at a church or in a church or something tied to a church. Uh, about 15, no, 17 rather, were at another venue, 13 outdoors. There were six married at somebody's home. Uh, there were five married, like a destination wedding. Uh, four were married at the courthouse, and two eloped. And the two that eloped told me they're still together. So that's... Tiny and I were married at a beach in Maui, uh, Hawaii. Here's a picture of us on our wedding day. And the the... the the thing about this picture is Brady and Belle ask us often, did they not have color photography when y'all were married? <laughs> I think that was just a cool thing to do maybe 20 years ago. So that's us 20 years ago, just maui in Maui, Hawaii, on the beach. Had about 20 family members with us there uh, for, that, for that wedding, and it was a great time, great time. When, when you think about a location of a wedding or where you've been married, or maybe where you hope to be married, uh, some of you said you were married at the uh, chapel at UTC, Patton Chapel at UTC. Some people said we were married at, 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 uh, at a, you know, a chapel at Gatlinburg or somewhere else. Somebody said they were married at a hang gliding ramp. How about that? So different places, different locations. Uh, the thing about this wedding that we come to John chapter 2 is it is a wedding that points us to marriages that can. When you think about marriage, the beginning place is this wedding ceremony where the two uh, ceremonially become one and, and that kind of happens at the wedding. And, and so here we have Jesus attending this wedding. And what a wise thing to do to invite Jesus to the wedding, right? One little boy in Sunday school, I've shared this before, he, they walked through this text in Sunday school and his mom and dad asked him after, what did you learn from that account of Jesus at the wedding? He said, if you're going to have a wedding, make sure Jesus is there, right? Great advice, invite him to the wedding, invite him into your marriage, invite him into your life, invite him into your home, invite him into your relationships, it's important. And here's, we're going to see why today in a message entitled, Wedding at Cana Points to Marriages that Can. So let's look at this, John chapter 2. If you're there, say I'm there. All right, here we go, verse 1 through 11. I'm going to read the text, and then we'll unpack it together. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, 
Mm. The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone saves the good wine, serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This... The first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Father, we pray today that as we read your word, as we receive your word, as we respond to your word, God, you would be honored and glorified. And that those who don't believe would believe in you. In Jesus' name we ask it. And God's people said, amen. So here's our takeaway today. Jesus can renew your marriage right now. Now I know this text isn't directly speaking of marriage But you can fill in the blank there. Jesus can renew your relationship right now. Jesus can renew your fill in the blank right now. He has the power and the ability to do that right now. And this text screams from these pages that Jesus can renew you, your spouse, your marriage, your relationship with your parents or children. He can do it right now. And so what I want to show you as we walk through this text, just a few observations. There's three of them that that I observed as I was walking through the text with marriage on my heart and on my mind. Because we know this from Scripture, that whether it's in Noah's day, or whether it's in Jesus' day when he walked this earth, or whether it's in our day 2,000 years later, or whether it will be on that day when Jesus comes again, people will be marrying and and giving in marriage. So we know marriage is going to be here up until the end. And so, uh, the first observation that we can make from this text is all marriages, and you can say all fill in the blank, all relationships, experience nosedives, right? (laughs) They all have problems. It's a myth to think that good marriages don't have problems. That's a myth. That is not true. Every marriage has problems. Have, Have you ever seen a picture perfect marriage I mean think about Lucy and Ricky who would say I love Lucy a generation ago did they have a picture perfect marriage think about uh, maybe uh, asking for a friend but did Monica and Chandler did they have a picture perfect relationship maybe in the office we saw it with Jim and Pam did they have a perfect marriage and relationship or maybe we see a vision of it with Wanda and Vision do they have a picture perfect marriage relationship. No, it doesn't exist. It's not there. But you can have a marriage that can. You can. 
So understand from the get-go, we're all starting at the same place. We're all broken and we're in broken relationships. So we all experience these problems and nosedive. So, but, but here's, here, this, this section, this chapter, this text begins with an incredible phrase. I love this phrase. I don't know about you, but I love this phrase. On the third day. When you hear that phrase, does it trigger anything inside of you? On the third day. What, what does that cause you to think of? On the third day. Boy, what, what happens on the third day? Well, on the third day, what is breathless begins to breathe on the third day. What has no hope finds hope on the third day. What is futureless begins to find a future on the third day. What is comfortless finds comfort on the third day. What is motionless begins to move on the third day. And just like in Jesus' resurrection on the third day, here we see this miracle at Cana in Galilee is going to happen on the third day. That what is lifeless is given life on the third day. And so let's see how Jesus begins to manifest his glory at this wedding. You know, a lot of times we refer to this account and say, man, this was the, a miracle that happened at the wedding at Cana. This first miracle happened at a wedding. And that's true, but maybe a better way to view this through the eyes of faith instead of the eyes of the flesh, maybe through the eyes of the faith we need to view this as, hey, this wedding happened at a miracle, right? Let's get the proper perspective. This is the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, who has been invited to this wedding. And Jesus is capable of performing a miracle today just like he did on the third day. Because on the third day literally means, I mean, it's, it's today. In fact, it's always today. Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow never gets here. So whatever day you're on is today. And today the Lord Jesus is able and capable of renewing and performing a miracle in your heart, in your life, in your marriage relationship right now today. He and he alone can do this. And we're going to see how this unfolds. So verse 1, on the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. I love the fact that we're not told who the groom is and we're not told who the bride is. They don't matter. <laughs> they just don't. <laughs> the, the host of the wedding, Jesus, is the hero of the wedding. It's all about him. I'm for one am thankful that we're not given the names of the people at, at this wedding because here we are 2,000 years later and we're still talking about this wedding. If the name of the bride and groom were known, it would have been made all about them rather than about Jesus. In fact, the only name, isn't this interesting? The only name that we're given in this text is the name of what? Jesus. The only one. Isn't that interesting? Because look, look who's there. The mother of Jesus was there. Now, who was that? You know who that is, church. Who was the mother of Jesus? Mary, right? Well, why doesn't John use her name? John never used her name. He always referred to her as the mother of Jesus. Why is that? Why did he refer to her when he referred to her in that way? Because again, the whole Bible is written for one reason and one reason only. And that reason is for you. It's written down for you to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That he is the Christ. And that by believing 
in his name, not Mary's name, his name, you may have life and life eternal and abundant. So the mother of Jesus was there. And the disciples were there. Jesus was there. And his disciples who followed him were there. Now, i got to tell you, we have to know from this text that Jesus' disciples, they really did follow him. They go with him anywhere. If they, went to him to, if they went with him to a wedding, they would go with him anywhere. I don't know of any guy in this place that is clearing our calendar, that's saving the date. If you pull up any guy's calendar in this place, he's not going to have, man, I can't wait till this weekend. i got a wedding I get to go to. That's not going to happen. And these guys followed Jesus even to this wedding. So wherever Jesus was, his disciples were with him. They're with him here at this wedding. And we'll see in a moment why it's so important that they are there. And then look what happens. We have this wedding. You can imagine all the festivities surrounding, and the weddings then will be about a week long, about a week-long wedding in Jewish culture at that time. All right, big celebration, festivities surrounding it. You can imagine everything that's happening, and Jesus is there, and his mother is there, and the disciples are there, and then there's a problem. Look at the problem in verse number three. The, the, the wine ran out. Now, from the Old Testament, we understand that, 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 that wine equated in a Jewish mindset to joy. That the rabbis would say, without wine there is no joy. That the psalmist wrote, that they're gladdened with their hearts uh, by wine, gladdens the heart. That Isaiah wrote, come everyone, buy and eat, come, buy wine and milk. Without money and without price. And we see that even uh, echoed in the book of Revelation. For those to come to Jesus and be saved. So this wine in, in a Jewish mindset equated joy. So when you read they ran out of wine, you can also read there they ran out of joy. I wonder how many marriages in the church today, and not just this church, including this church, but every church whose marriage has run out of joy. Their joy tank is on empty. They're running on fumes when it comes to joy. The, 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 when, the, when the wine ran out, when the joy ran out. You know, at some point we come to the realization that everything this life offers us runs out. All the instant gratification that we experienced in temptation. And we give in to that temptation and we're instantly, simultaneously instantaneously gratified but then that goes away it wears out sin is fun for a little while but then it it runs out everything this world offers us eventually runs out of joy even Disney World I know this may be hard to believe but Disney World every single day of your life would get old it really would after a while it runs out the, the, this, this wedding had run out of joy. And let me tell you, this would have been a catastrophe, a disaster of epic proportions. This couple would be forever known as the couple in, this, in Cana at Galilee. That, that This would be the couple known that their wedding ran out of joy. What a devastating situation that faced them. Boy, I bet they're glad they invited Jesus to the wedding. 
Because what will they do? Only Jesus can restore and renew your relationships. Only he can. So yes, all marriages experience problems. They experience the joy running out. They experience nosedives, every one of them. Here's the second observation we can make along verse number 4 and 5. And that one is this. Some marriages don't survive. Now, all marriages end in the D word death, every one of them end at death. There's one that does not, that's the marriage supper of the Lamb, amen? It never ends. But all other marriages end at death. Some marriages end with the other D word, divorce. Some do. Why does that happen? Well, here we have an insight into why that happens as we walk through this miracle. We're going to see why some marriages just don't make it, why, why some don't survive. Now, fellow, fellow pastor friend of mine said that while he was watching a football game with his nine-year-old, uh, a similar sign like this one came up. You know, as the camera spans the fans and looks at all the fans at the game, and uh, th- a sign, not this one, but something very similar to this popped up on the screen where I'm sure there was more fans than one, unless he was watching my team, the Southern Miss Golden Eagles were terrible, terrible, but at least here they're not throwing golf balls right (laughs) but his son looked at this and he said what does d hashtag mean now what does this mean church d what it's offense it's defense right so he had to explain to him no it's not d hashtag it's defense so what happens when a couple enters into a marriage and they never want to use that d word divorce and they never want to use that d word divorce and then the joy runs out in their face with that d word divorce why does that happen Why does it happen? Well, I think there's an insight here for us. But first of all, let's see what Jesus does with his mother's proclamation. They have no wine. They've run out of wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, verse 4. Now, is Jesus being rude here? Is he being cruel? Is he being unkind? No, he's being very thoughtful. In in fact, this is one of the most incredible expressions of love you're going to find in Scripture. Remember, Jesus referred to her in the same way at the cross in John 19 when he's dying and he recognizes, hey, my mother is going to be, uh, her, her, Joseph is dead and, and if I leave her, she's going to be widowed and alone and she had no one to take care of her. So he sees John, the disciple whom Jesus loves, and he sees his mother there and he says, mother, behold your son and, and, and to John, the one who Jesus loved, behold your mother. And he made sure she was taken care of after his death. Okay, so in the same way he responds to her here, it's it's an expression of love. And it's such an expression of love because we need to understand something. Mary needs to understand, even Mary needed to know that the only way you get to God the Father is through God the Son. Yes, Mary is the mother of God the Son, but she also needed to understand that she had to become a daughter of God the Father. If she's going to get to God the Father, she has to go through her son. There's so many religions out there today that, 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 that make statues of Mary and, and pray their Hail Marys and worship Mary. Mary should never be worshipped. She should always be honored, but never be worshipped. And and even John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, captures that here when he writes the mother of Jesus, not Mary. He's not, this isn't about Mary, this is about Jesus. The whole scripture is about him. 
And then he tells her, my hour has not yet come. In other words, Jesus is saying, Mary, I'm not submitting to my mother's will. I submit to my father's will. I'm not about my mother's business. I'm about the father's business. And just as he submitted to his father's will, we see Mary submitting to her son's will. That she needs to understand that just as you and me come to God the Father through God the Son, that she has to too. And Jesus is letting her know that. There's a change in their relationship at this point. Jesus' public ministry begins right here. This is where it begins. This is where those relationships begin to change. And people closest to him must put their faith in him. That he is the Son of God. That he is the Christ. And so look what Mary says. As Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. His hour wouldn't come until the Garden of Gethsemane. Not at a wedding at Galilee, but at the Garden of Gethsemane is when his hour would come. And so his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. See, if you and I were called to worship Mary, Mary would say something like this right here. Do whatever I tell you to do. But she doesn't say, do whatever I tell you. She says, do whatever he tells you. She's pointing them to Jesus. She turns to Jesus when there's a problem, and she's pointing those servants to Jesus. This is how our marriage should work. This is how our relationships should work. When there's a problem, we need to turn toward Jesus, not away from him. And when God intervenes and he performs a miracle in our marriage, then we point other married couples to the one who did a miracle in our marriage. It's married couples discipling married couples. What a beautiful thing. And so we see here Mary pointing other people to her son and says, you do whatever he tells you to do. This is not only the best marriage advice anybody could ever receive. This is the best advice anybody could ever receive. Just do what the scripture tells you to do. Be a hearer and a doer of the word. Do what Jesus tells you to do. And the reason divorce is rising or is about 50% or whatever research you want to look at. The reason we have divorce today is given to us right here because either one or two or both are not doing whatever Jesus tells you to do. That's why it breaks down. That's why it broke down in the garden. And when the fall happened and sin came in, you know, Tanya and I were at Salt Lake City a couple weeks ago, and we saw this young man. He bowed his knee before this young lady and asked her to marry him, and she said yes. So that was good. <laughs> she said yes, and it was a joyous moment there. I mean, people were clapping, and everybody in that, it was outside and, and in this um, outdoor kind of where you could, it was outside of this big mall downtown in Salt Lake City, and so everybody saw it, and everybody was clapping and applauding. It was a joyous, very joyous moment. But the most joyous moment is not before marriage, when a husband-to-be bows the knee before a wife-to-be, but the most joyous moment in marriage is when husband and wife both bow the knee to Jesus and do whatever Jesus tells you to do. And that's a glorious, and we're going to look at what that is later on in this series, that husbands are to be the helpmate I mean, wives are to be the helpmate because the husbands need a helpmate. And wives are to submit and to help their husbands. And husbands are to lead and to love their wives. And we'll look at all that later. But let me say this about a word about divorce. First of all, divorce without biblical grounds of adultery and or abandonment is sin. Now, it's not the unforgivable sin. Jesus forgives. He restores. He renews. You just repent of that and you seek forgiveness from him. Second thing I'd say about divorce is, yes, there are biblical grounds for divorce. It is permitted. 
with abandonment and or adultery. It certainly is. But if you've been divorced, you do not need to walk around under this, under this umbrella of guilt and shame. There's forgiveness. There's restoration. That's who our God is. He's a God of hope. That's who he is. And thirdly, I'd say this. If your spouse is unfaithful, do you have biblical grounds for divorce? Yes, you do. It is permitted, but it's not required. You don't have to. If you decide to stay, if, if your spouse is unfaithful, repents, and you decide to stay, you can do that. It's not, it's not required that you get divorced. But if you stay, and if there's restoration and reconciliation, there need to never be holding that over them. You need to move past that and trust in trusting it to the Lord. So here we see this miraculous miracle take place at no better place than a wedding. And I'll be honest with you, I can't think of a better place to have a miracle than at a wedding. I mean, just honest with you, I just can't. You know, the average wedding is $20,000, $20,000. That's probably the floor. And then $8 billion a year spent on honeymoons, $72 billion a year spent on weddings. I mean, there's no better place for a miracle than a wedding. Tanya and I are going to need a miracle to pay for two weddings. We just are. Tanya and the girls are worshiping up at the point today and up, up at Signal. And as I got to this third point, I just was so thankful uh, for the gift that God has given us in marriage. And here's the third observation, last one. Your marriage can thrive, okay? It just doesn't have to survive. It can really thrive. It really can. The, 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 the thing that you're going to have to do is you're going to have to believe it can, okay? And, and here's, let, let me show you how this unfolds. In verse 6 through 11, there's a lot here. Uh, we'll, we'll cover as much as we can here, but Let's look at this together, verse 6. Now, now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. Somebody say six. Now, this is an important number. Say six. Somebody say seven. So what's the complete number, six or seven? Seven's the complete number. Six is an incomplete number. There's six stone water jars here used for the purification. What does that mean? Well, Remember, the, the Pharisees hammered Jesus because his disciples were not following their rituals and washing their hands before they ate. Not, not because they had germs on them, because it was a ceremonial thing. You're to wash ceremonially before and after a meal. And they weren't doing that because Jesus says, I'm greater than any ritual rule that you have. And so here we see this on display. There's six stone water jars used for that very purpose, for ceremonially washing before and after one would eat. Six being incomplete. Religion without Jesus is incomplete. This Jewish Judaism was without Christ incomplete. Jesus came to complete the law. He didn't come to abolish the law. The law is not bad. The law is good. The law did what the law was intended to do. The law was never intended to save anybody. The law was intended to point us to the Savior. That's what the law does. So Jesus came to fulfill it, to complete it. Somebody say complete. So six is an incomplete number. Six is the number of man. Seven is the number of God. Six is an incomplete number. Seven is a complete number. Six is not getting it done. That's why six, six, 
Six is deemed as an evil number. Why? Because it's man trying his best to get to seven apart from God. And he just can't get there six, six, six. He can't get there. Apart from Christ, we can never get there. Christ is the one who completes us. Not us. Not our rules. Not our rituals. Not our religion. So what this is proclaiming here is Jesus is greater than religion. He's greater than rituals. He's greater than Judaism. These six stone water jars represent the whole Judaism that all Judaism and religion brings is just judgment. But Jesus always brings joy. Always. And so here we see this unfold. So look at how much water there is that is changed into wine. Look at this. Each holding 20 or 30 gallons. That's what, 120, 150 gallons of water. That's a lot. That, that, would, that would equate to about 2,400 servings of guests. That's, 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 that's a ton. In fact, some say, hey, because some commentators say, hey, this was more like a gift to the, to the, to, to the bride and the groom because that wine would have lasted. That, that would have been way too much wine for this wedding party. It would have lasted all the way into marriage. Boy, isn't that a great thought? Isn't that a wonderful thought that if you start and then you invite Jesus from the very get-go in your relationship, if you invite him into your wedding and both husband and wife are surrendered to him, that that the joy you have at your wedding, it's just going to spill over into your marriage. Now, does that mean you'll never have problems? Of course not. You're always going to have problems. You're broken. I'm broken. We're broken. But it does mean the joy of the Lord is going to follow you all the days of your life. Even in the suffering, there'll be joy. There'll be peace. There'll be hope. It spills over into their marriage. There's so much of it, 150 gallons Spilling over that joy, spilling over, overflowing into their marriage. And look what Jesus tells them to do. He says, fill up the jars with water. They filled them to the brim. So here, here's, one, here's one thought that we have to embrace here. Here's one, here's one understanding we must, we must get behind here is this. Think about this. They fill it up to the brim. Is it important for you and for me to believe that Jesus really changed water to wine? Is that important? I would say it's very important. Because John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he was an eyewitness. How do you know he was an eyewitness? If you'll go look at chapter 1, he says the next day, uh, the next day, the next day, the next day. He uses that phrase. Why? Because he was there. He saw it with his own eyes. He's an eyewitness. And he wrote down what God told him to write down. Think about that. Think about all that John witnessed. Tons more than this. John even said, man, if I wrote down everything Jesus did, the books of the world wouldn't be enough to fill them up. So why is this in here? This is in here so you will believe it. This is written down in God's Word so that you will believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in His name. This is not written here for you to not believe it. It's written here for you to believe it. Do you believe that? It's written here for you to believe it. And so what did not happen is Jesus did not slip something into the water. Remember, it was filled to the brim. He didn't do some slick magician trick. He didn't wave his hands over to some hocus pocus. When they drew the water, it was wine. Miracle. Jesus didn't touch it. He didn't even really speak a word. 
You see, he told them what to do, and when they did it, the miracle just happened. They did according to what Jesus said. See, Jesus can take out, I love this picture of how Jesus took whatever was there, whatever was available, Jesus took that and did miracles with it. Think about Moses and Aaron. What did they have? They had a staff. So what did Jesus say? Take the staff, throw it down. He used what they had. He used the staff. Here he uses the stone jars. With the 5,000, he used the little boy's lunch. He uses whatever is available and does a miracle. Well, you say, man, there's no hope for my marriage. I would argue, oh, quite frankly, there is. Well, we don't have very much left. You know, we're running on fumes with our joy. We're about out of it. Well, God's going to take whatever's there and use it to do a miracle. That's what this clearly screams from the text. Jesus takes whoever you are, wherever you are, and he performs a miracle if you make yourself available to it. And I love what it says. They took it to the master, and he drank it. And look what it says here in verse number 9. As they drew some out, they took it to him. Though he did not know where it came from. Now, that's important. We just read past things like that. You've got to understand something. These six stone water jars is not something you'd go drink out of. They were used to wash hands with. Can you imagine all those dirty hands washing in that water? And you're going to go scoop up and take it to the master of the ceremonies? You're going to go scoop it up and take it to the man and have him drink it? If he'd have known where it came from, he wouldn't have drank it. He wouldn't have have taken a sip. He wouldn't have taken a sip of it. I'm not going to drink out of those jars. Are you crazy? He didn't know where it came from. But they did know where it came from. And they did see Jesus change it from water to wine. Incredible miracle that unfolds before our eyes. And it just gets better and better and better. When Jesus is invited to the wedding, to the marriage, to the relationship, it just gets better. This world and and all that it has, it, it fades away. But with Jesus, it just gets better. They took it to the master. The master drank it. Look what he says. Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk, in other words, when people are smashed, when they're hammered, then they bring out the poor wine. But here it doesn't happen that way. Here, you mean you've saved the best till last. This is why when you get to the book of Hebrews, it begins with, in the last days, God has spoken to us by his son. Why? Because that's because Jesus is better. So this is screaming to us today that Jesus is greater than Judaism and religion. Jesus is greater than the way God spoke in the old days through the prophets at many times and many ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son Jesus. And it's much better. In fact, you've been reading through the word. You've been journaling through the word. When you got to Exodus, what was the first plague? You remember the first plague? What was that? Now river turned to what? blood what's the first sign here in the new testament first sign Jesus changed water to what wine what what is this saying to us here's what it's saying to us it's saying to us that Jesus is greater than Moses he's greater than Abraham he's greater than the old testament prophets he's greater than any prophet priest or king he's greater than John the Baptist John the Baptist decreases as Christ increases You decrease, I decrease, Christ increases. In other words, your marriage is not about you. Your marriage is not for you. Your marriage is bigger than you. Your marriage is about Jesus. King Jesus, the hero who can take 
what is available and perform a miracle. Now I know that we read this as Baptists and we think, well, we can't drink wine. Right? And we whine about the wine. I think the bigger sin is not drinking wine. The bigger sin is whining. Because wine is, we're not told do not drink. And scripture does not tell us abstain from drinking. It doesn't teach abstinence of alcohol. It doesn't teach that you can't drink. It does teach don't get drunk off of wine. It does teach that. I, for one, Tanya and I, have chosen to abstain 100%. We don't touch any alcohol ever. We just don't. Hadn't always been like that in my life, but when Christ got a hold of me and changed me, that's where we've landed. We just don't do it. We don't want anybody to stumble. We just, I've never heard anybody come to me and say, man, I regret that I never drank before. I've had a lot of people tell me, man, I regret I ever took a drink. So we just abstain from it. But the Bible certainly does not teach abstinence, okay? So let's, I know we can get hung up on things like that. Get above that. Get to the bigger picture that the blood of Christ is what cleanses us. This water turned to wine points me, reminds me of the cross, Jesus' blood being poured out. And at the end when Jesus was, was dying and, and, and when he gave up his spirit and he breathed his last, they, they put a hole in his side and water came out. And why? Because he, he shed all his blood for you and all his blood for me and he poured it out to change us forever and ever and ever. And the real miracle here, which I pray will be the real miracle that happens in here today, the real miracle in this text is not the, the, the water being changed to wine in those stony jars. The real miracle was in verse 11, which again, we just dismiss. We don't pay attention to it. But it's not that God can change the contents of stony jars but it's that God changed the stony hearts of his disciples. That's the miracle. The disciples believed in him. Are you kidding me? They believed in him. They began to be transformed right here. We witnessed their hearts being changed from being just fishermen. They're being changed to be fishers of men. And it started right here. That Jesus manifested his glory and they begin to believe in him. And when you get to Acts chapter 2, they are transformed into these old fishermen, the fishers of men, bold witnesses from lowly, illiterate fishermen to bold witnesses of Christ. Because Jesus renewed them. He gave them a new heart. He took those stony hearts, just like he changed the contents of those stony jars, he gave them new hearts. He transformed them from the inside out. And I'm telling you today, it can happen for you. You may have a hard heart, and you may be a hard nut to crack. You may be cold and hard. I'm telling you, Jesus can change. He has placed eternity in the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls. And he can change you today. But you have to believe in him. You have to get to the place where you believe in him. Today would be the day, I pray, that you would say... I do to Jesus. If you've not done that, you need to do that today. Desperately need to do that today. The other thing you need to believe, for those of us who put our faith in him, we've got to believe that he can renew us. We've got to believe he can restore us. We have to believe that Jesus can renew every relationship we have. Father, we love you.